Crime and Court USA is independently funded and is made possible by listeners like you. If you would like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash crimeandcourtusa and make a monthly pledge that's right for you. Thank you for your support of unbiased and independent news content. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Crime in Court USA. It's the weekly show where I talk about crime and legal news going on around the good old U.S. of A. And I'm your host, Wunda Carrillo, recording this on September 1st, 2021. All right, folks, we are officially out of Afghanistan, ending a 20-year war. I kind of want to correct the record on something I said last week when talking about the, uh, the terrorist attack near the Kabul airport. I said that U.S. service members and civilians died in the attack. I think it kind of sounded like I said that U.S. civilians died, but in fact, I want to clarify that Afghan civilians died. Uh, 60 was the last I saw. So um, yeah, thoughts go out to the, uh, to the Afghan civilians who died in a terrorist attack. So before I get into the the crime in court news, I do want to mention this Bishop Sycamore story. (laughs) This is crazy. I don't know if you guys have been catching up, but there's this school, I guess like it's an online charter school, um, that claims to have had all kinds of Division I talent on its football team, and they were able to get on ESPN this last Sunday, and they got walloped. They they got destroyed 58-0 by by the the number two team in the country, this, this team out of Florida, but... Again, this Bishop Sycamore School was claiming to have all kinds of talent, and they just they just got smoked on, on national TV. And so, of course, people started looking into it, and they found that this school doesn't really exist. I mean, it's not it's based out of Ohio, but it's not registered with the Ohio Department of Education or whatever it's called there. They have, like, no actual, actual class facilities. They just have training facilities and athletic facilities. And they were able to dupe ESPN into, into broadcasting their game. And now, of course, now that a bunch of stuff has come out, a bunch of future opponents have canceled games with the school, the school in quotes. People started looking into it and finding that a lot of their roster was not only Division One talent, but also possibly 19 years or older, <laughs> like not even high school students. It's very mysterious. It's super, super mysterious. Again, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of hilarious that they were able to dupe ESPN. Apparently, ESPN has like this sort of third party that schedules high school games from the network so this other company i guess got duped as well <laughs> so it's pretty hilarious it's pretty hilarious when you really think about it i can't wait for the 3430 the, the espn 3430 on this school how they duped everyone including us okay i also kind of want to set the record straight on something from last week actually one of the stories i covered last week so last thursday i talked about the Capitol Police officer who shot a woman during the riot on January 6th. His own department found the shooting to be justified and, and all that, but the department didn't name him, right? He remained anonymous because of threats he faced for the shooting, right? And so I kind of went on this whole this whole rant on how I think he should be named or I don't. I didn't really come to a decision. I didn't come to a conclusion. But I said that most officers 
who commit a shooting while on the job are named, right? I mean, as far as I could tell, they're usually always names of the department. Didn't name him because he faced threats, right? Well, that same day on August 26th, when I posted that podcast, that very night, Lieutenant Michael Byrd came out, he revealed himself, and he sat down with Lester Holt on NBC News and uh, just kind of uh, defended himself. Great, great timing on that, sir. And yes, uh, Lieutenant Byrd did tell Lester that he, in fact, faced threats. He said, quote, they talked about killing me, cutting my head off, end quote. And Byrd, who is black, also said he was racially threatened as well. He said it was disheartening because he was just doing his job that day. He also responded to a president, former President Trump calling him a murderer. He said that was disheartening as well because he would have done the same for him. I mean, he said whoever is in, you know, whoever the president is, whoever's in that, uh, in that capital, I defend them because that's my job. Pretty interesting interview. It was obviously edited because it aired on primetime TV. It was about six minutes long. Go check it out if you guys want. Pretty interesting interview. I gotta say, I have to commend him. I, last week, I, the sort of theme of the show was accountability and transparency, you know, being held accountable for your actions. He certainly did not have to do this. He could have remained anonymous. He could have, well, sort of anonymous, I guess his name was, kind of make it its rounds on the internet, but he didn't have to do this. So he, he came out and, you know, put, put his name out there, put his face out there, defended himself. I have to commend him for that because he just did not have to do that at all. So go check out the interview if you guys are interested. All right, this came in today as I was writing the show, so I have to include this. Three police officers and two paramedics have been indicted in Elijah McLean's death in Aurora, Colorado. Elijah McLean was walking home from a convenience store in Aurora when he encountered police who were responding to a call about a suspicious person. McLean was put into a chokehold and paramedics who responded to the scene shot him with ketamine, I I suppose, to try to calm him down. He, uh, he arrived at the hospital unconscious and was taken off life support not long after that. He, didn't, he never recovered from going unconscious. And he, repaired, he reportedly told officers who were holding him down and putting him in a chokehold that he could not breathe. And also he was unarmed and not suspected of committing a crime. All right, let's move on to the next story. That is that the man convicted of killing Robert F. Kennedy over 50 years ago has now been deemed eligible for parole. Sirhan Sirhan was only 24 when he shot Kennedy three times at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles in 1968. Kennedy was a Democratic presidential candidate who at the time was a senator from New York and based on what I've looked at, many believe that he was the favorite to actually win the presidency. Now Sirhan, who is now 77 years old, grew up in Palestine and moved to America with his family when he was a child and he apparently had written a manifesto about killing Kennedy back when he was younger. Uh, I watched a good video from Biographics, this YouTube channel called Biographics. Shout out, go check out their videos. They make really good videos just about different people in history. And they made a video about him and Kennedy. And apparently he, uh, he grew up in Palestine, like I said, post-World War II. Apparently not a good time. Not a good time. Saw a lot of violence. And, um, you know, that, that surely had an effect on him. But he was, he was a child, like I said, when he moved to America. He was sentenced to death in 1969, but in 1972, California outlawed the death penalty, so his sentence was changed to life in prison. And this, a two-person panel in California on August 27th, that was last Friday, deemed him suitable for release after they found that he was no longer a danger to society. Now the parole staff still has 120 days to review the decision, and Governor Gavin Newsom 
or whoever might replace him can still block the release after that he has the final say but i'm going to go on a quick kind of a side note here about gavin newsom so he faces a recall election on september 14th so two weeks from the day i'm recording and he will be removed if the majority of voters vote yes to remove him data from 538.com poll the last that i checked they uh that data from August 26, it shows that 50.6% of residents are in favor of keeping Newsom. So just a slight, slight margin that, according to their poll, that he might stay in as governor. But if not, if if the majority, so there's a two-part, I guess there's, there are two questions on this ballot, right? Should uh, Newsom be removed? Yes or no? If yes, the second question is who should replace him? And according to 538, the leading candidate to replace Newsom is Republican Larry Elder. And this is, by the way, the only the fourth gubernatorial recall election in U.S. history. I remember the last one in the early 2000s where Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor. So the last two of those four gubernatorial recall elections happened within the last 20 years. So that's kind of funny. Apparently, I was just kind of reading up on it. And every California governor since like the year 2000 has faced a recall effort. <laughs> like there's always someone, I guess, you know, not happy with the governor's performance. And they're always kind of facing this recall effort. But um, yeah, <laughs> now, now, uh, now another one is actually facing a recall election for only the fourth time in U.S. history. So Californians, man, really exercising your right to recall a governor over there. <laughs> Anyways, what am I even talking about? Right. So, yes, it could be up to Newsom or whoever replaces him to have the final say in whether Sirhan will be a free man. And a spokesperson for Governor Newsom said the governor would review the case if it was presented to him. No kidding. Pretty pretty standard uh, government statement there. You know what I mean? Anyhow, two of Robert F. Kennedy's children, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Douglas Kennedy, have expressed support. Sirhan's release with Douglas sort of taking the more compassionate route but RFK Jr. has expressed doubts in the past about Sirhan's guilt and even bought into the theory that there was another shooter. There are of course a lot of conspiracy theories on this one. There was another one that Sirhan was actually hypnotized by the CIA to carry out the killings because the Republicans wanted to stay in Vietnam and that Kennedy would have pulled it out. I don't know. I have no idea. We can get into conspiracies all day. Let's not do that. Anyhow, some people believed that Sirhan was not guilty. But regardless, sentenced to life in prison and might soon get out. And of course, six other children of Robert F. Kennedy oppose the release. So for now, this is the first step in Sirhan becoming a free man. But again, a review process that'll take up to 120 days. And then the governor of California has to approve the final decision if the parole board releases him. And he'll be a free man, maybe by next year. Can you imagine just being at the grocery store? Like, is that, is that the guy who shot Robert Kennedy? No, I can't. Is it? No, nah, go ask him. No, you ask him. <laughs> That's dumb. Anyway. <laughs> I've always kind of wondered about that, about, you know, high profile, uh, you know, pe- people who are convicted in high profile cases being out in public. Anyways, let's let's just move on. <laughs> All right, the next story. Elizabeth Holmes's trial actually got going yesterday on Tuesday, August 31st with jury selection, but the actual trial is expected to start on September 8th. Holmes founded Theranos in 2003 when she was 19 and when she was still a student at Stanford University. 
and said the company was developing technology to conduct rapid blood testing. She promised that her technology would be able to run over 100 tests from just a pinprick of blood, but it later surfaced thanks to some good old-fashioned investigative journalism from the Wall Street Journal that her technology did not work. She is now charged with 10 counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Prosecutors allege that she misled investors and patients about the capabilities of her company's technology in order to defraud them, and now she faces up to 20 years in prison. Her ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani, who was the president of the company at one point, is also facing charges in a separate trial, which is now scheduled for January. Holmes started to make a splash when she started talking publicly about the company in 2013. I do remember her seeing her on TV talking about Theranos back in the day. If you guys remember her, she had that whole blonde hair, blue-eyed look. She wore black turtlenecks, kind of trying to look like Steve Jobs. Apparently, Steve Jobs was like her idol and someone she looked up to. And uh, she had a deep voice, kind of a trippy voice. Not trying to be mean or anything, but uh, yeah, her voice, she, she's like known for like having a deep voice. Anyhow, Rupert Murdoch and uh, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos were some of those early investors, and in 2015, Theranos was valued at $9 billion. And the company had deals with Walgreens and Safeway. $9 billion, Jesus. But it later came out, again, thanks to an investigation from the Wall Street Journal in 2015, Theranos' machines could only run a few tests, right? And so other tests were that they claimed that they could do were conducted on traditional lab equipment. And since only a few drops of blood were collected, right, because their whole claim was that we could run hundreds of tests on just a few drops of blood. But now since they had to run, on, run these tests on traditional lab equipment and only a few blood drops were collected, blood samples had to be diluted so that all these tests could be conducted. And that often led to unreliable results. That led to Holmes being indicted in June 2018, and Theranos, the $9 billion company, officially closed that same year. Now, I told you about her, uh, her ex-boyfriend, Sonny Balwani. He's also charged with this whole thing, and it looks like the defense plans on arguing that he was an abusive boyfriend and completely took away her ability to make choices, right? She, he, he decided what she ate, what she did, all, all this kind of stuff. And it looks like they plan on arguing. We won't know until the actual trial, right? looks like they plan on arguing that, you know, it's all his fault. It's all because of his decisions, not hers, and that he manipulated her and controlled her. Holmes is also expected to testify in her own defense. That's usually a risky move because, you know, you get, you get the defendant up there. He gets, they have to be cross-examined by a prosecutor, right? Kind of. The prosecutor's going to tear them up, you know, make their statements look inconsistent, just kind of make them look uncredible right in front of the jury, which is sitting right there. And again, that's usually a risky move because you don't want the jury to see your client uh, stumble or give out inconsistent statements or anything like that. But her attorneys must be pretty confident in her because she is expected to testify. In my experience, that sometimes changes. I've heard from attorneys that their client will testify, and then that, uh, you know, they don't don't really commit one way or the other. They just say, ah, well, maybe they'll testify, but, and sometimes they don't. But, um, yeah, usually just a risky move. You just want to let the state's case just sort of play out and then kind of poke holes in that as a defense attorney, unless your client, you know, really shoots down their case. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Again, September 8th, 
the trial is expected to start. Just another one of those high-profile sort of corporate fraud cases, kind of like Enron, Bernie Madoff, those kinds of things. All right, let's go on to the next story. And that the U.S. government is closing the Manhattan jail where Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, at least temporarily. The facility is going to be closed temporarily. Some of those people in that jail will be moved to another jail in Brooklyn. They don't really know. They don't have a timetable for the closure. But the closure is so that the, uh, the U.S. government can address issues like lack security, you think. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein, the financier, if that's how you say that word, was arrested on child trafficking, child sex trafficking charges. He was in that jail and he was found hanging. He, uh, he took his own life. That's not supposed to happen in a jail. <laughs> you know, there's supposed to be people on, on watch making sure inmates are doing stuff like that. So anyways, lack security and a crumbling infrastructure. Apparently the building's falling apart. There are mice, there are roaches. So they're going to close it down, try to fix it up. No timetable. Just thought it was interesting because it is where Epstein killed himself. Or if you don't believe that sort of thing, which a lot of people don't, it's where he was murdered. Anyways, I'm not going to, I shouldn't dive too deep into that because that is just a conspiracy theory. Oh, and that facility also held Chapo Guzman and John Gotti, pretty, pretty famous inmates there. Anyways, that's about it for that one. Let's move on. This is just kind of a, a weird, sort of odd story that I want to bring up, and that is a lawyer representing 17 defendants in the Capitol riot case has sort of disappeared. And the young attorney who has taken his place is facing criminal charges in Pennsylvania and might not even be a licensed attorney. So John Pierce hasn't been seen for about a week as of this recording, and the reasons for his absence in court hearings started kind of change again. This, this young attorney is taking his place, right? And he, this guy is telling the judge that at first there was a scheduling conflict and that's why Pierce couldn't be there. Then another judge was told that Pierce had COVID-19 and was in the hospital on a ventilator. Another said he was in a car accident and was in the hospital. So the reason why he's not there kind of keeps changing. And this guy, John Pierce, he's representing 17 defendants, which is the most defendants that any defense attorney representing in this capital riot case, and this young attorney who has taken his place, Ryan Joseph Marshall. Prosecutors say he's actually not a licensed attorney, and he actually is facing criminal charges in Pennsylvania. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how this one shakes out again. Just kind of a bizarre, kind of weird case. I don't know. First off, I hope Mr. Pierce is okay. I mean, if, if you keep making all these excuses, I think he's okay. Like he's alive and, you know, telling this Marshall guy what to tell the judge or whatever. But um, I don't know what impact this might have on the cases against these capital rioters, these alleged capital rioters. See, I've seen cases where, you know, the prosecution takes too long and then the case gets dropped or something like that. But I've never seen anything where the defense attorney gets dinged or you know something happens to the case of the defense attorney is just nowhere to be found that's kind of out of the defendant's hands as well so i don't know we'll see this is this is this is interesting to me so i'll, I'll keep an eye on this but uh yeah i hope um i hope mr pierce is okay and that is all about it for this week appreciate you all tuning in check out the facebook page facebook.com slash crime and court usa Check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash crimeandcourtusa. Help support your boy. Help me put this crazy show out every week. I really, I really enjoy doing it. I want to keep doing it. Uh, share this with your friends. Share it with your enemies. You know the whole spiel. Follow me on Twitter, at Mundo Cario. This is now a weekly show, so I will see you guys next week. My name is Mundo, 
and I'm out. Peace.